Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's at work in our mess. So if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I have the honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode on the first Tuesday of every month. And back with me today as my co-host is my friend, the co-founder of Life Church, and my pastor's wife, Amy Groeschel. Y'all, this podcast is partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, where we are also big-time fans of the YouVersion Bible app. God's Word literally in our back pockets for free. I know it's so easy to take for granted, but can you imagine not ever having the Bible in your very own language, which is pretty much not having a Bible? But listen, YouVersion is taking some massive and creative steps towards ending Bible poverty in our lifetime. So we're just going to link some of those opportunities because how cool that we live at a unique time in history where we can be a part of helping real people we've never met on the other side of the world have access to the hope that is found in God's Word, basically from our own messy tables. All right. So as you probably know, God created the world. We messed it up. But Jesus came to us to make things right again. And if you've joined us for a while, you've probably heard us quote Revelation 12, 11, that our longtime enemy is defeated, most importantly, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus' sacrifice. Then it goes on to say, and by the word of our testimonies, sharing what He's done in our actual lives. And that is why we carve out our personal time to chat with women from all walks of life about their stories, about the work that He's done and continues to do, because we are all in process. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, we are still surrendering and trusting and learning every single day. Because the overarching theme from the very beginning of time is that God is at work in our mess. And so we are super excited and can't think of anyone better to share how this has played out for them in real time than Tori Hope Peterson. And Tori is, first of all, darling, and second of all, strong and humble and wise a former foster youth with a surprisingly redemptive story that puts the odds to shame. Some might say she was the product of an unplanned pregnancy, but we know that she was planned and loved and designed by a loving father before the beginning of time. And yes, she might have bounced around the foster care system for a significant amount of time, but she was also seen and saved by Jesus right where she was. And then she happened to become an All-American track star and a four-time state champion, She went on to graduate college, and she even landed herself a little title in 2021 called Mrs. Universe. Now, she is a wife, a biological mom, a foster mom, a foster care advocate, an adoption advocate, a best-selling author and speaker, and certainly an overcomer because of the freedom that was first bought on that cross. I can pretty much promise that you will 100% be better off and gain a priceless perspective after hearing Tori's story. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Amy and me for a chat with Tori. All right. Well, Tori, welcome to The Messy Table. Amy and I are so happy to have you. So thank you so much for having me. Of course, the listeners don't know this, but this is our second time recording because the first one, for some reason, didn't record. And um, I'm actually really before we got on, you said, I'm so giddy. And I feel excited (laughs) because I really do believe that this is the recording that God wanted. And we don't know why, but I think at the end we will. 
And that's what I'm looking forward to. Yes, yes, yes. Tori, it's a blessing that you would re-record with us. And we are all the more eager because we do know kind of what's coming in your story and what you're going to share. And so thank you again on our part. But for those that do not have the honor and privilege to know you yet and heard about you yet, we would love for you to let the listeners know just a little bit insight into your family and the highlights that make you Tori. Yeah, I live in Defiance, Ohio, which is a small rural town in Northwest Ohio. And this is the place that I was raised. And right now I'm sitting in the church that I was saved in, that I was baptized in. And for real. Um, oh yeah. Uh, yes. And the leadership here has loved me, um, stewarded the gifts that God has given me. So it's just really extra special to still be in the town that means so much to me, especially still going to the church that means so, so much to me at home. I have two biological children. Um, the people in our home are usually changing. Uh, we are foster parents. So right now we have two foster children. And then my sister, my biological sister has lived with us for about a year and a half. She's going to her senior year. Sweet. Um, and I've been married for five years to my husband, Jacob. Oh, that's years. a lot going on in five years of marriage. How old are your children, your bio kids and your, how old are your foster kids? Um, my bio kids are two and four. Our foster children are two and six. And then my sister Uh, She'll be 18 pretty soon. Wow. Well, I love that you said you were in the church that you were saved in. And again, we just kept saying, like, is this spiritual warfare or what? Mm-hmm. Because you guys, we were having mm-hmm. sound issues that we never have. And so Tori was upstairs in her church uh, looking for headphones. The people there, her people there were rallying and getting her what she needed. And yeah. I just love that. So. <laughs> And you guys, Tori has a story. I'm talking Mm -hmm. a story, Mm -hmm. one that's messy and hard and beautiful and redemptive. And Mm -hmm. so we would just be so super honored to get to hear a piece of it. So if you would just take us back. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like I'm most commonly known for is that I grew up in the foster care system. So born to my mom, biological mom, who is quite an incredible woman. She went through a lot Mm -hmm. and... That allotness made it very difficult for her to care for me um, with stability. And so I went into the foster care system for the first time when I was three. And then again, when I was an adolescent, when I went in that second time, I moved throughout 12 different homes, which was very hard because I felt like I wasn't wanted. I always questioned like, what is wrong with me? And I think that that is actually still a question that goes through my mind, like, mm. is there something detrimentally wrong with me that I'm unaware of that other mm. people are seeing? No. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. <laughs> and so, you know, just as a kid, these narratives, these thoughts go through your mind. You have to work through them at a young age. I emancipated out of the foster care system, which means uh, you leave. I turned 18. Age out. Yeah, age out. Mm-hmm. That's another way of saying it. And there's this kind of idea that when a kid turns 18, they're kicked out of the foster care system. That's not true anymore. It maybe was like a decade ago, but now a lot of kids choose to leave the foster care system, even though there is extended foster care, which offers resources and stability for youth in foster care. A lot of kids choose to leave um, because they just feel really burned by the system. And that was what happened in my case. I chose to emancipate and like 20% of foster youth who age out, I 
was instantly homeless. I did have my church community in my last foster home. It was my 12th foster home. My foster mom was taking me to church and I had other foster parents who took me to church, but the foster parents before her proclaimed the name of Jesus and then did some really sad and hard things that contradicted that. And it really confused me about the character of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that made me really not want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Then uh, in my last foster home, I felt like my foster mom, she was just a reflection of God, of Jesus, and she loved him really well. and. I think that started to spark new questions uh, regarding faith and who I wanted to be, who I understood God was. And so she was taking me to church super faithfully. I know that she was praying for me, like just every night. I came to Jesus in her home after really just seeing my church is very involved in foster care and adoption. Our lead pastors um, have adopted children out of foster care, and almost everyone in leadership is involved in foster care to some degree, whether that's a ministry, um, like a parachurch ministry or relation. Everyone's kind of doing something, like they have their hands in it in some way, mm-hmm. even if it's not, you know, a foster parent. And so I was kind of looking at my church, looking around me, and I thought, if these people care about kids like me, maybe God cares about kids like me, and maybe mm-hmm. He actually cares about me. Mm-hmm. Powerful. And yeah, their love just collectively compelled me to understand that God was my father, that mm-hmm. he loved me. He was the father that I had been searching for for a really long time. Wow. So I accepted him into my life, emancipated out of the foster care system, and but I had my church and I was kind of bouncing around home to home for a while. Um, there was, you know, a really nice woman who welcomed me into her home. I tutored her daughter. That's how we met. Um, but then she didn't know it, but she had black mold in her basement. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like that it was dirty or anything. It was just that like, it was just a basement. And that's where, I, that was where my room was and where I was living. And so I was breaking, I'd never been allergic to anything. And I was like suddenly breaking out in fives. Mm-hmm. And so I had to move out of there and just, there were different reasons, you know, just like there was this really nice family. They lived in an apartment and they just had a heart for me, but they didn't have much space. So I was just sleeping on their floor and my track coach. Uh, he came to me and he was like, Tori, you, you need to find a place to live. Um, I was doing really well in track the summer in between my junior and senior year. My track coach was like, I think you can go on to the state track meet and I think you can win it. And I, I think his confidence in me and beginning to understand who God said I was and being able to gain confidence in the Lord mm-hmm. um, really made me chase that goal. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, you know, I had a whole track season left and he was like, you just really need to find a stable place to sleep. You can't be sleeping on cold floors. You can't be like going to the hospital because of this like black mold. You need Mm. stability if you want (laughs) to perform well. And so um, there was a woman, another woman from my church who I'd actually lived with her for a a hot minute when I was in junior high before I went into foster care. And I said like, can I live with you? And it was a really big sacrifice for her to say yes, because she had received a lot of a lot of threats from my biological family. Mm. Um, just sometimes there's jealousy, you know. Sure. I was really she was the person I was probably closest to, mm. and so they didn't like that. Um, but she she was like, yeah, and I it was a huge sacrifice to to say yes. And so she was the stability that I had. Continued to just grow my faith in her home, and um, then you know I was going to track practice. My season was was about to start 
I'm a senior. My competitive season hadn't started. I had been practicing all year round though. Um, and my practice season started. And when you're in foster care, you can't typically, um, you can't get a license mm. um, until you turn 18. You, you can't go through driver's ed. Mm. Uh, it's considered a liability on the state. And so mm. I didn't know how to drive. I didn't have my license. So my track coach was driving me to and from practices. And mm. then um, on our way home one day, he said, you know, I've talked to my daughters and I, we just want to invite you into our family. You know, when track season is over, we would like you to be a part of our family. And so wow. we grew really, really, we were already pretty close, mm-hmm. but just we grew even closer. Um, I knew where I was going to go. Mm-hmm. And that year I became a four-time state champion in track and field. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> track star. Yeah. Thank you. And then that same day, I moved in with the man who is still my dad, who is uh, the grandparents to my children, and who's like my best friend. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Amazing. So when he said, would you be in our family? Did you understand that to mean like a forever family or another fostering situation? Yeah, you know, it's really that's such a good question, Amy, because when he said that, I actually was like, yeah, that's what everybody says. Mm. <laughs> and I have had a lot of people who people just say this and I think they're really well intended, but they're like, yeah. oh, I wish I could have adopted you. I wish I could have taken you in. It's mm. like, well, why didn't you? Like, yeah. you know, mm. you just wonder like, and it always went back to like, well, what did I do that you didn't? Like, what's like, what stopped mm. you? Like, what was wrong mm. with me? And I know now as an adult, there's a lot more, you know, impending like decisions and just things that go into making that kind of decision. But as a kid, you know, we know like from psychologically, kids think that everything revolves around them. But that's mm-hmm. why when yeah. when parents like divorce the kid, no matter what, and it's mm-hmm. like not the kid's fault. The kid's always like, it was my fault. My, my, fault. my parents divorced. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of what I always looked at as like, oh, it's my fault. Like, why didn't they take me in? What was wrong with me? Um, Mm. And so when he said that, I was like, yeah, we'll see. And I think uh, this is the part of the story. I wrote about it in my book, but a lot of people, I think, don't still understand the gravity of it. Like my track coach took me in, I started living with him and it was a mess. Like I would explode. I like, I knew Jesus, but Mm. it wasn't this like pretty picture all the trauma was still there mm-hmm, and I right. really I you know I would blow up at him I would leave and I would be like you don't love me I might as well mm-hmm. just leave you're kicking me out and I just I remember <laughs> the other day I had this like image I like yelled at him and his daughters and my sisters are just like standing there and they just were there for me you know they stuck by me mm-hmm. non-judgmentally mm-hmm. as I was just fresh out of all this sh- trauma and reacting so so rashly Mm -hmm. hurtfully Mm -hmm. and they were just trying to like welcome me into their family and I really don't think that I have been able to accept my track coach's love until the past three years wow Mm -hmm. and it's been how many years so he adopted me when I was 18 and I'm almost 28 Mm-hmm. Wow. So I feel like, yeah, it probably took about seven years. It's a process. Yeah, it, it really was a process. It was a process of, I think, pushing him away so much to the extent. I think I was just always like, he's going to leave. Mm-hmm. He's going to mm-hmm. leave. 
Mm-hmm. And then when he didn't, over and over and over again, I just stopped pushing. I was like, oh, he's going to stay. He's going to mm-hmm. stay. Well, that's what I was going to say is you also had to have that time to actually see that he's not going anywhere. Exactly. He really means it. Like he's in it for the long haul. He's not leaving. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Man. One thing that really stood out to me as you're sharing the story is that, yes, you have this like final, your track coach adopted you and you're just this amazing track star and this really cool part of the story, right? That really gets highlighted. But just hearing that there were so many people along the way that really Mm -hmm. came in and did play a part or played a role or in that season and maybe it wasn't forever But, you know, you mentioned like I was really close to this woman or this woman brought me to church and Mm -hmm. really taught me about Jesus's love. So just seeing like how God put all of these different people around you along the way to just love you and care for you and show you his love. Yeah. Thanks for noticing that, because something that I hear a lot is it only takes one adult. Mm. And I actually don't think that's true. I really think it takes a community And when we think, especially as a church, that it only takes one adult, Mm -hmm. then we think, oh, it's not my job. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need to have my hands in that. It's true. But I really do feel like, you know, I got to go to this unicorn church where so many people were involved. So many people had their hands in different spaces that really compelled me to come to Jesus. But I think you can see when you look at my church now and when you looked at my church then, it's very community oriented. Everyone is working together. We have a lot of older youth, you know, emancipated out of the foster care system. We have, um, my church has a foster care ministry for those kids aging out. And Mm -hmm. the kids that they serve, I mean, they have like 10 people at a time wrapping around these kids in different ways. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it really does. It took my, my track coach was a single, a single father. And so I had my mother figure who I feel like she taught me what it was like to, to be a mom, um, mm-hmm. to mother. Well, that makes me like want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and she's still like uh, uh, almost every night, either I go to her house or she comes to my house mm-hmm. and we just talk. She's, she just is this person who holds space for me. And then there was my track coach who I feel like is this person that, really contradicted my trauma mm-hmm. and made me taught me by through his actions that I could trust people. And then there were, you know, members of my church that I think they really modeled how to be involved in the things that God's heart breaks for. You know, it was their actions and their modeling that taught me how to pray, how to live like Jesus. It was really all of those people. And there's so many other people I could truly list that played a part in who I am today, letting the Lord work through them so that I could know him. This is a resounding, powerful part of the story to me as well, because like we do think it's all on the one. And that is overwhelming to even step in and say yes, but to just trust to take the next step for whoever feels those Holy Spirit nudges to get engaged. Because I think as followers of Jesus, we're all called to engage on some level to those that the Lord puts on our hearts, you know, to meet the needs. And so it's profound to me to think, okay, I just will take that step 
I may not be called to be their forever family, but I can sow seeds and I can take a step to be involved. And um, I think that could embolden a lot of people, you know, push them Mm -hmm. over the edge and and out of that fear. But Mm -hmm. I wanted you to unpack a little bit with this whole community of people for a minute, because you said, you know, you had some that were a positive impact and others who call themselves believers, but they did things that were hurtful. And you would say maybe they weren't good Christians or whatever that was. So how did you process that? Was it just that it didn't affect you eventually with, you know, your solid faith? How did you process some believers aren't really who they say they are and others are? Yeah. So my 11th foster placement that was just like this younger couple had a really good reputation in our town. I was so excited to go live with them because I was like, they're like, cool. Mm-hmm. And they took me to church um, every Sunday. They had two adopted children that were younger and they, they abused them. And that was really confusing for me because I was learning, you know, I was going to church every Sunday. I was learning about the character of Jesus and he was like loving and kind and he wants to comfort us and he calls us daughters and sons. He cares about children. When children come to him, he's like, let them come. And so I'm just like, okay, this is like, um, I, I mean, I wasn't trying to be smart or witty. This is really just how I interpreted it. I was like, oh, this is like something that people put on to make themselves look good. Hmm. Like it's like religion is kind of like this mask, especially Mm -hmm. if, you know, maybe you're doing things that people wouldn't approve of, or if you're doing things that are really harmful, this is kind of like what you do to just look good, to look better. Do you mind if I ask, was it like verbal or physical or sexual or what kind of abuse? Yeah, it was just strange abuse. It was like torture, uh, like physical torture. And that was the thing that really confused me about it all because so the mom was a licensed social worker and she dabbled in psychology stuff. And she would say that, that what she was doing was helping them. It was like reversing their trauma. Um, and it was reversing, like they, they had behaviors that were, that were hard to deal with, Mm -hmm. but she was saying like what she was doing would make their behaviors go away. And I was like, Oh, so it's just like a form of like discipline or it's like the psychiatric. I kind of looked at it as like this psychiatric tool that she understood. And I did not, I was like, she's a licensed social worker, not me. And, uh, Mm -hmm. then it was actually, I was dating a young man in high school came from such a sweet family. Uh, his dad was a past stepdad was a pastor and went to church with him like every Sunday. So it was cool. I went, I went to my church in the morning and then, uh, his dad had a church service at 3 PM because he <laughs> wanted to bring in the people who wouldn't wake up to go to church in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. And so it was an interesting church to say the least, but I loved it. Um, and I would sit in church, you know, all, all Sunday. Cause I go to my church, then I go to the 3 PM church. Um, he was a, he was a black pastor. So we all know what that means. I was in church all day, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was sweet, sweet boy. And he came over one day and they were actually had a Rottweiler dog and they had the dog attack their adoptive son. And then the way to you know that they communicated it is that they were just playing. They were teaching him not to be afraid of dogs. And I was like, I just, 
I feel so terrible saying this, but I was just like laughing along with them. It's like what we did as a family. It was how we bonded. And then it was actually my, my boyfriend that stopped me and was like, you need to report this. And I was like, no, this is just like what they do. They're joking. It's not a big deal. And he was like, no, this is abuse. And to me, I was like, no, I, I know abuse. Abuse is like hitting and kicking. This is just like fun. Like this, yeah. we're laughing. It was actually him that kind of opened my eyes to all what was happening mm. in the home. Mm, okay. And so all that to say, I was so confused. I just, I was confused, but I also was like, okay, I, I do know what Christianity is. It's a mask. Um, it's not like a, I didn't ever didn't see it as like a relationship with God. It was like just a mask. And I was like, I don't really want a mask. I want to be known. I want to be loved. Like I'm just trying to have a family and, and I don't really want any thing that feels not real because that's what it's like going from home to home to home. So it's just like, yeah, it just isn't my thing. The, the school that I went to was a public school. Um, but a lot of people there were uh, religious. Like I said, I live in a rural town. Christianity and faith is very important, I think. It's a culture of our town. Mm-hmm. And so there were conversations, you know, that would happen at school. And I would be like, yeah, I'm an atheist. Like, I don't talk about that stuff. I'm not interested. Like, God's mm-hmm. not real. And then my foster mom, my 12th foster home. I mean, it was just such a big contrast. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what like just rocked me. So she was taking me to church every Sunday, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And then she really, truly did. She was so loving, so sacrificial. A lot of time when I was in in the foster care system, you know, you ask for things as a kid in foster care and you're kind of always getting whatever the charity has to give, which actually wasn't that big of a deal for me until I started running track. Like I just wanted nice spikes. I wanted nice shoes because I wanted Mm -hmm. to perform well. And for my foster mom, she was, I mean, just never blinked an eye. And to me, Mm -hmm. that communicated, I believe in you and I believe in what God is doing through you. Mm -hmm. And then there was, you know, watching these other people in the church live and love like her. I think after just watching them so much, I was like, I want that kind of love. Mm -hmm. I want to live like that. And I think I knew it's what I needed to break the generational curses. I was actually kind of a jerk in high school <laughs> because, mm. because right when you're treated poorly, mm. it's like your it can be like your knee jerk reaction to just treat people poorly. I didn't know. Sure. I wasn't aware that I was treating people poorly. I just You were surviving. To, yeah. And I was, I spoke to people just how my mom spoke to me. I thought it was like, that's just how you speak. You tell people things bluntly, even if it's not nice. Mm. And uh, then there were all these people who were speaking words of life over me and it was changing my life and it was changing my perspective of myself Wow! and it was healing to me. And I was like, I want that. And I knew that the only way that I could have that is if I accepted Christ into my heart and understood that he was my father. You know, I was always grappling with like, why didn't I have a dad that would have solved all my issues Mm -hmm. and, and how that Amy, to answer your question, how that's affected my faith, you know, I'm not perfect by any means. I actually feel like I'm a very messy person and my trauma that I still deal with is very complex. However, the thing that I do think about a lot um, is that there is a way that we can proclaim the name of Jesus that is very harmful and that pushes people away from his heart. And there's a way that we can proclaim the name of Jesus. And that's with integrity and good character and love that looks like his, Mm -hmm. that brings people into him to know him 
um, and it heals people. Mm. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. And that consistent love. What a powerful Mm -hmm. testimony. You know, you mentioned earlier, I think you were talking about your mother figure, but you were talking about how she just held space for you and she still does. Mm -hmm. And really that phrase just reminds me of all that you're talking about right now, just the messy and the good and the bad and the hard and the awesome and all of it, just holding space for that. And then it makes me think, man, I want to do that for others. Like just be a safe place to hold space for people to come with their complex, messy selves and still be able to like work it out and talk to God. And I, I see that in you and I see that Mm -hmm. being important to you and you doing it for others. Yeah, it's very important to me. I just, so I released my first book about a year ago, Fostered, and then I just signed a second, Mm. you know, to write the second book. And um, my publisher was like, we wanted to be like self-help. I think they kind of were like wanting a prescriptive, like, I don't think they call it like prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And I, I do believe that there are people who are called and they are meant to like write books like that and they help. But I just kind of realized like I am really uncomfortable with writing books or speaking in a way that is like a finger pointed the other way. Mm. And it's like, this is how you do this. This is how right. you can get better. I really want to write and communicate in ways that like grab someone's hand and just say, we're going to take a walk together. We're going to figure that. this out together. And it's okay if we say, I don't know. And it's okay <laughs> if we actually change our minds a few months later, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what I needed when mm-hmm. I was trying to understand who God was, as I'm still trying to figure out who God says I am. Mm-hmm. I need people to walk with me and say, we're just going to figure this out together. Yeah. Yes. That's so good. It sounds like I was going to ask your advice for everyone, uh, which is kind of prescriptive, isn't it? To, uh, (laughs) to share about what we should know to be trauma informed, but it sounds Mm. like that you just said it, like your approach to trauma being trauma informed is a process. Like let's take a walk. Oh, yeah, good. I think it's good. I think especially, you know, in the context of the church, something that we can do uh, is be like, just trust God. You know, have you prayed? Have mm. you read your Bible? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe this is a bit controversial. I think it's just not prescribing to the prosperity gospel. But there really are times where we can pray, where we can have an authentic faith and a rich, you know, relationship with Jesus. Uh, good prayer life. And we can still struggle with the trauma that we've endured. And Mm -hmm. I think something, you know, just that the church can do is instead of kind of going to those quick fix, like point a finger, um, just being like, you know, can I hug you? You know, listening. Silence is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead of saying, you know, you go pray, because like prayer does work saying, you know, can I pray with you being built? Because sometimes that's scary. Mm-hmm. It takes boldness to actually be like, can I pray with you for this thing you're you're really struggling with? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think walking with people in that way of not giving quick fixes um, because that's actually not how Jesus works. Jesus no. is not a band. Jesus is not a band aid. No, mm, Jesus balm, and it takes time to heal. And I think it's actually the time. You know, the time that it takes to heal is the time that we grow closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. If we just had everything fixed, mended in this quick way, then I think 
our, our reflex would be like, I don't need him. Yeah. Um, but right. God wants point. us to need him. And he yes. wants us to draw close to him. He wants to be close to us. And mm-hmm. so uh, it really is suffering that that is the way to that. And I think the way that we can just do it well is walk with people. Man, this is so good. Yes. And, you know, it just resonates so much with my own experience, just going through a significant death in the family and, you know, really wrestling with my own doubts and relationship with God and who he is and what does this mean? And it was really in the wrestling, like I think Mm -hmm. about Jacob wrestling with God in the Old Testament. It was Mm -hmm. really in that wrestling and coming without the mask Mm -hmm. and saying like, here is where I really am with my real stuff coming Mm -hmm. to you. That's really where true healing began for me. Again, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying prescriptively that maybe it works for everybody else, but for me, that is where I grow. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's how it's been for you too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, Tori, if we could just talk a minute more, let you unpack um, what you shared earlier about your um, hesitancy or your inability for years and years as your your new dad, the track coach, took you in as daughter, um, that process, like just recognizing that as we talk about, it's a journey, healing's a journey. Can you unpack a little bit of the journey of that, of being able to trust that he wasn't going to leave and how that worked? Yeah. So it was probably my and my husband's second Christmas together. Our Christmases are wild. My <laughs> husband comes from a really big family. And then I have my biological, like when we do Christmas, I want to get to my biological family. I want to get to my adopted family. I don't get to my mother figure. Mm. And so it can just be really um, intense. We will get all these presents. We lay them out and then we kind of designate who gets what. Mm. Um, And then we have like, you know, friends, people in our church that, you know, we get presents to. And uh, there was this this person in in our church, in our community, that I think I would just like really wanted them to love me. I really wanted them (laughs) to accept me. And they were getting like a lot of good presents. And then, you know, there's our families. And my husband, Jacob, was like, you don't ever give any good presents to your family. And I was like, this is like really going to expose me. (laughs) And I was just like, what do you mean? Yes, I do. You know, just like defensive. Yeah. So, what are you talking about? That's not right. And he was like, "Look at all the presents that you're giving this woman who you really want to love and accept you." Mm. And uh, I think that was just like this moment. He was right. And then we moved. We moved a lot of those presents to like my mother figure and my biological mom. And I think as I reflected on that moment, I understood that I really chased love where it was hard to get I Mm -hmm. chased love where I felt like it wasn't Mm -hmm. um, because I felt like if I could get those who didn't necessarily love me the way I wanted to or they didn't have the capacity to care or give or accept me in the way that I wanted them to then that's when I was truly loved Mm -hmm. and accepted I think that is really that kind of story was a very just like pinnacle moment where I was like, I already am loved and accepted by people. And I'm just not, I'm not letting them give it to me. I'm not giving to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not receiving it. I'm always trying. And there were so many stories that I could give you 
and I, I saw this because it was a pattern. It wasn't just like this one woman in my church that I really wanted to love and accept me. It was a list. You know, it was, it was a pattern in my mm, life of right. pursuing relationships that were kind of destructive. Almost mm-hmm. like it had become a habit. Yes. And then my husband and I, we went to this like webinar on trauma mm. and the researcher there said that those who grow up in abusive families are five times more likely to be in abusive relationships or to be in, in that to me, even though I wasn't like in an abusive marriage, what it said to me was that our minds, our brains go where they're comfortable. Mm. And I think I was really comfortable in relationships where I wasn't treated kindly because mm-hmm. um, that's how I was raised. And then I think I thought in my heart, in my mind, if I could just strive enough, if I could be, just be enough, do enough, and that person could love me, then it would prove that there's not something detrimentally wrong. Mm-hmm. Then that would really, because these really good people over here, like, yeah, they could just love me no matter what. But if I get this person to love me and all that to say, it really made me just not accept the love, not not receive or give the love um, from my adoptive family. And it made me aware. And it also made me really, really sorry because I could see that they had pursued me in so many ways for so long. But I was always looking over here. I was always looking in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And that's why I couldn't like accept or see the love. It was never good enough. I was never looking for it. It always had to be this insufficient love. And all that, all those are signs or symptoms of codependency, which I've learned is very common in people who grow up the way that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really, that's kind of been the thing that I have been uh, just weeding through the past mm-hmm. few years is like, what are these codependent patterns that I've actually used to kind of self-destruct? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially as as Christian women, it can be really easy to not see codependent patterns because we are taught to be uh, loving, nurturing, accepting. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think sometimes we can overcompensate or do that to into people who treat us poorly Mm -hmm. it can continue to make us enter into relationships where we're used so yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. i don't know if that explains all of it but codependency is i think is the root is the center of of all these strange things (laughs) i think it makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. and you know if you broaden that outside of your experience but just to so many other experiences that people have just how we can be more comfortable to stay in our own dysfunction yeah. than the pain that it takes to grow mm-hmm. and one thing i love about you is that you are constantly putting in the work to learn to grow mm-hmm. to get better to heal like obviously it's god but it's god in you and you're doing your part and putting in the work and i think that's super beautiful thank you and then when you were talking about I guess, not putting intention to some people. I think that can be a struggle for all of us. Like Mm -hmm. when you were talking, it actually made me think about my mom, who is like the most amazing mom on the planet, but how often she serves behind the scenes. And I probably just completely and fully take for granted what a Mm -hmm. safe place that is. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So that I'm not always looking to bless or thank Mm -hmm. because like she's just there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
for sure. Yes. And the giving and receiving of love to be healthy always has to be rooted in understanding the Father's love. And I know mm-hmm. that you walking with the Lord and growing in Him uh, had to be, you know, really significant, the part, the breakthrough part, because, you know, we can't love others well or receive love well when we don't know His love, mm-hmm. like truly have a revelation of His love. And when we don't know you know, who we are mm-hmm. as truly loved by him and that be enough. I mean, I've been there and that's why I wanted you to share about it. Honestly, was because I know that everybody, you know, such a big part of the reason why we covet and the reason why we struggle relationally is it's rooted in a, a love issue that we haven't experienced the depth mm-hmm. and the breadth of God's love and for us and for others. That's a good point. This is a love story, what's happened, you know, mm-hmm. how God rescued you in, into salvation yeah. and then into a forever home and, and even just brought community around you throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Of course, those are my words. <laughs> yeah, I've been reflecting on that lately, you know, reacting not um, to earn love or prove, mm-hmm. uh, but reacting because I am loved. Because that's my whole identity. Yes. And yeah, I, I think that this was really just, you know, you know the past year I realized this and it's so, so hard to admit because I, I really want to have a ministry and a life for the Lord. I know that that's my heart, but there was also this part of me where I was reacting because there were these narratives of, you know, when I was growing up in the foster care system that I it was perceived as someone who was just going to be another statistic. Mm -hmm. And I really, and I think that God used that, you know, he used that to fuel this motivation in me and used it to glorify himself. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I realized that, you know, you just can't react like forever. You can't Mm -hmm. react to the things that people say. You can't like live from that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Forever. I don't think that God wants to bless that forever. He wants us to react to him, uh, not to people. He wants us to react, not to prove our identity, but out of our identity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's been so freeing to not be striving to prove like, yes, look, see, yes. I am good enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can earn this love. Like, no, I just am. Like, mm-hmm. this is who God says I am. It's already been given. Yes. Mm. You already have that freedom. Well, one thing that's truly amazing about not just your story, but what you're doing with it is that now, I mean, you could just coast. You could Mm -hmm. keep to yourself. You could enjoy, you know, the life that you have now. But instead, you are uh, a leading advocate in foster care. You're empowering others Mm -hmm. to change the world right in front of them. And you've developed this, you know, resilience and perseverance that's an example to others who are going through hard things or suffering and learning to suffer well, kind of like you talked about earlier. I really just commend not in a way that like, oh, yay, now I'm proving my love, but you have accepted it. And it's like out of the overflow of who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it really is. And I, I say that because I think for so long I could like say the good things to other people, but I couldn't say them about myself. And I think I've said them so long to other youth in foster care and other kids who are struggling that I'm like, I can say this over myself. Mm. Um, 
yeah, like I know that I am loved and like God does say that I'm worthy and he did do a good job making me. Mm. And because of that, I want other people who may question that or who struggle, who know Jesus, but struggle to fully understand that and understand how to live that out. I want them to know that. Mm-hmm. I wish uh, that this podcast at, t- at times were on video so they could see your glow, your smile, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> your heart is just fully expressed, not just in your words, but in your expression of your face. So uh, just know that she's she's beaming <laughs> as she mm-hmm. shares. Thank you. So that is another thing to underscore there. Um, you are, did you write the second book or is that not happening now? It's it's being written. Um, yeah, it's being written. It's happening. Uh, I just realized that like, oh, Tori's voice is a little bit different, I think, than what people typically want. And that scares me mm. because, you know, you want people to want your books. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're writing or it. Or maybe that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, we um, have a lot of the same out there. We need a little different, I think. Aww. That's right. Thank you. That's well, so good. It won't be released until 2025. Uh, so I, my manuscript deadline isn't until January of 2024, mm-hmm. and it'll be released in 2025. And um, I'm taking my time. I think it's the definite, like with your story, I just kind of told my story from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, it was much easier. And I feel like this is really, I say that Fostered was, even though I was honest, it really was a mountaintop book. This is how I got to where I am. Hmm. Um, And I really think that this next book is a testament to the hardship um, through that. The things that really no one saw that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not praised for working through Mm. these difficult things. Um, And talking a lot about the codependency and how I kind of function from a place of not acknowledging it and how self-destructive it was to me. Mm-hmm. Moving people towards um, dependency on people's voices to a dependency on God's voice. So good. Well, and life is truly, it's the mountaintops and the valleys. It's both. It's not just one or the other. Yeah. Um, I do want to go back real quick because I feel like there's a little gap in the story. Um, so your biological mom, I feel like you speak of her with such compassion, mm-hmm. fill in some gaps there. And also, I don't know if you've mentioned yet that you were in foster care multiple times. Like you kind of were you yeah. know, with your biological mom and then you were in foster care and then you were back with her. Yeah. I just don't know if we've clarified. Yeah. So I, I went in the first time when I was four and then was reunified with my mom and then went back in. I, I always lived, I kind of lived with different people throughout my mom tried her best to avoid the foster care system, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'd live with her friends here and there. I lived with my uncle here and there. But then I went back into the system when I was an adolescent. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, my mom, our relationship is probably not like the ideal relationship that a mother and daughter would hope for. But I think that understanding um, my mom's story. Mm-hmm understanding what she went through made me have more compassion for her. I lived in a group home. It was maybe like my third placement. And uh, in that group home, I'll never forget it. I just remember hearing these girls' stories. And I think seeing them like in a like kid form, I just saw my mom. Like I saw my mom in these little girls, but they were Mm. little girls. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's like, that's my mom. That's like Mm. what she went through. Yeah. And that is what 
made it so much easier to forgive her. Like I really just feel like all the anger and bitterness kind of like shattered because hmm. it was like my mom once was a little girl and she went through through these really hard things. Um, and she didn't, you know, now in our generation, it's like, go to therapy, going to therapy is so cool. It's almost like if you don't go to therapy, you're like, not working. you're like, it's like, you're not working, you're not working on yourself. Like you need to go to therapy. Like so that's a good thing to do where, you know, my mom, it wasn't like that. She was like, I'm going to therapy. It's like, are you psychotic? Yeah. Like, are yeah. you like, or like you're on medication, like, oh, like, are you okay? Where like now it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting on anxiety medication. It's like that's good for you. Like that's a mm-hmm. humble decision. You know, it's the, the narrative is so different. And so my mom didn't have those resources, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. narratives to support her mm-hmm. the way that we do now. All that to say, I think um, just seeing the full scope of my mom's life. And so when I started speaking, preaching, when doors were open for that, People started to call me a woman speaker or a woman preacher, which is true. I am a woman speaker and a woman preacher. But um, I just was like, why are they putting woman in front of it? Like my mom was always like, there was just a lot of space like to be a woman. There was never like you like now I know as a child of God, I can step into whatever he's called me to do. But really, my mom put that in me. She planted Mm -hmm. that seed as a little girl, like as Tori, Hmm. I could do whatever I wanted to do. and. I could be as big as God wanted me to be because like I was never, I never felt like as a woman, I was a burden. Mm. And I think my mom, she did a good job um, Mm. kind of laying, laying that foundation. She didn't want anything more for me than to be an educated woman. Mm. I appreciate that. I think that, you know, going to college, I went to a Christian college and it created a really strong foundation for my faith. And when you don't grow up in the church, I think that that can be something that's really beneficial, especially for a really strong Christian college where there's just a really high standard for religiosity. Um, And there was. And I think all that gave me a good foundation, which I'm grateful for. Well, uh, I agree. You are so honoring towards your mom, and that's beautiful and encouraging. Uh, I think all moms need to know that... um, we get it right at some things. So speaking of moms, for foster parents in general, I mean, you are walking out uh, being a foster parent right now with these uh, two littles. So could you just give some of your go-to advice to some foster parents out there or those that are considering fostering as far as, you know, they often are dealing with little balls of trauma. What's some of your go-to advice for foster parents? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if I could just say one thing that'll work every time is regulate yourself before you're trying to regulate your child. So oftentimes, you know, there can be like these little humans can be so explosive or they can be not listening. Um, And if you react in a big way, it only escalates the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you try to regulate yourself, you know, get yourself calm, even in the midst of like this scary, you know, six year old human, small person, like being larger than life, scary. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can regulate yourself, then it's going to be a lot easier to regulate them. If you can calm yourself down uh, before you approach them, it's going to be a lot easier to deescalate the situation. And part of that, you know, 
how you do that is connection. So people say, and this isn't my advice. This is just the advice that I have learned. I am mm-hmm. not the expert on this. I just, I just take the advice. <laughs> but um, I guess this is for all parents too, isn't it? That's true. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, just connect before you correct. So uh, when a child is in a regulated state, which they get there by connecting with their caregiver, uh, then you can correct. It's much easier to correct the behavior rather than correcting the behavior in the midst of a trauma response or in the midst of the explosiveness. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Connect before you correct. That's good. Great wisdom. Thank you. Okay. So you, we talked about your book fostered a little bit. And if anyone wants more of that, of course, go buy it. Did you do a audio recording as well? I did. Yeah. And I spoke it until my throat See, it wasn't it didn't sound like my voice anymore. <laughs> Those are my favorite. And obviously the people listening, they're podcast lovers. And so go listen and you can get more of the details of her story. And then eventually you are going to write another book. And then you also have a conference coming up in November called Loved Already. You want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, it's um, a conference for women to just encourage them to step deeper into their calling or to step into what God is calling them to. Um, We'll have different speakers. And really, I think the heart of it is to bring people, women together in community um, in an intimate way and in in an intimate way with each other and then in an intimate way with God uh, to really create space so that they can hear him clearly and just feel a a sweet closeness Mm -hmm. and and intimacy to him. I'm actually doing it at my church in this church right now that I'm sitting mm, in yay. um in my home in my hometown uh which doesn't make any sense logistically there are no major airports here mm. um it is a very small town a lot of people don't even like really know what conferences are or haven't really been to <laughs> been to a conference um you know there, a lot of conferences they happen in, in big cities and in small world communities don't have access to content like this and so my heart was hey people are coming from all over. I'm so grateful that people are willing to make the trip. And I think in my heart, I knew that. And so I, I thought we're going to do it here so that it also is available to people who wouldn't usually have access to something like this. Mm. Love it. That's so good. Loved already. What a great title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Any other resources that you want to share? Um, I mean, you know, if you want to follow along, my social media is Tori Hope Peterson, website's Tori Hope Peterson. Peterson is S-E-N, not S-O-N. That's right. Mm-hmm. We will link it all up. <laughs> Thank all you. of it. Okay. So lastly, I think it's easy for us as humans to see what is like right in front of us, especially if something feels hopeless mm-hmm. and not really be able to envision that like this kid that's causing trouble eventually could use their gifts for good or this marriage that's on the brink of crumbling could actually be restored and could help others. Um, But you are a walking example of a life that really has been changed by Jesus and changed by his people. And so I would just love to wrap up with any encouragement that you might have for someone who's facing what feels like an unlikely or just impossible situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just in hearing some of your heart already, knowing that this isn't the cheesy answer and there's always going to be more to the story, but Mm -hmm. like, what is just something that you could leave them with? Yeah. Um, You know, another big question I had when I was like really skeptical about God was why have I been through so much suffering? And why are there other kids who are like way more innocent than me who have been through way more suffering? And I think when I 
kept going to church when my foster mom was continuing to do devotions with me. I understood that the life of Jesus entailed a lot of suffering mm-hmm. and he actually went through like the most suffering that any of us will ever go through. But that was his means to glorify his father. And so I think that if you can just hold on to the hope that in your suffering, it, it's really this gift to be like Jesus, to be like our savior. Hmm. And in that suffering, you know, God makes a promise to us. He will not waste it. The most egregious suffering that anyone ever went through, his son was not wasted, which mm-hmm. means our suffering will not be wasted either. Beautiful. Yes. That prompts me to ask one last question. <laughs> one final, final <laughs> question. If you could change your story, would you? Hmm. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, I don't think I would change an inch of it. I, I haven't been asked that question before. And um, there are some, you know, mistakes that I've made that I've thought, oh, real, I could go sure. back there and, sure, of course. <laughs> and fix that. But overall, everything has brought me all the pain, all the struggle, all the confusion that hurt. Even like, I, you know, I think about, I don't know if Amy knows this, but the first, I don't typically get super nervous when I talk. I think I get reasonably nervous when I go to speak because you want to be reverent and you mm-hmm. want to care for the opportunity that God has given you. But um, I think it was like two years ago now, spoke um, at a thing that Amy and Craig were at. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm speaking in front of Craig Rochelle. And I was so, <laughs> so nervous. And I remember like even that nervousness um, taught me like, it was like, you care too much about the opinion of man. Like you thought you didn't because, you know, it, it just shows me like more layers that I need to peel back mm-hmm. and that I need to address with God. And so I think even the, the littlest things, if you can just ask yourself, like, where's God in this? You know, what is he showing me? What does he want to teach me? What does he want to reveal to me? Because ultimately he just wants intimacy with us. He wants us close to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't think I changed any little thing because I've seen that if I continue to ask that question in my story I find Jesus throughout it it's so good I love it love it we're so thankful that you shared this time with us thank you guys we can't wait to see how the conference goes and get all these people connected to your ministry amen you guys are sweet thank you Tori it was so rich thank you So I just want to add that there are a lot more details about Tori's story that we just didn't have enough time to get to today, from her conception to the messiness of her time in foster care, to how she was reunited with her sister after being separated for a long time, to some really cool things that have been in process ever since, like, yes, becoming Miss Universe, like starting a nonprofit called the Beloved Initiative. So just remember, for easy access, all of those resources are linked in the conversation notes, and if you haven't already, you can connect with us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast and subscribe to The Messy Table however you like to stream, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. But seriously, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. And no matter where you're listening from, no matter what you're stepping back into, even right now in this moment, remember that yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.